The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for all the most updated information, tips, tricks, and strategies for building your own financial independence through real estate investing. And it is a real week here in Cincinnati. Our next monthly meeting is tomorrow night. The early meeting is about insurance mysteries and myths with Tim Norris, who is the president of National Real Estate Insurance Group and a sponsor of the 2012 OREA National New Strategy Summit. Uh, The main meeting at 7.30 is a national expert coming to us all the way from Louisville, Kentucky, Mr. Mike Butler, on how to collect 105% of your rents by working smarter, not harder. And no, I did not misquote that. Mike actually will show you how to, by actually collecting your rents and your late fees and your damages to collect more than 100% of your rents. This meeting is open to all members and guests, and you can get more information at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. It's at the usual location, the Hamilton County Community Action Agency at the corner of Reading and Seymour in the Bond Hill Roselawn area. If you follow real estate news at all, you are very aware of the fact that banks are paying a playing a huge part in the real estate market today in terms of being sellers of real estate. And you may be confused about the fact that you watch a property go through sheriff sale, get acquired by the bank at the sale, and then not go on the market for months or sometimes as long as over a year. My guest today has made a 25-year career out of dealing with bank properties at every stage of the foreclosure process as short sales at the sheriff sale and as REO, and he is here today to talk to us about how to approach lenders about these hidden market properties. Joining us, not from his home, but from a speaking event in Los Angeles, California, is Tony Youngs. Tony, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Well, thank you, Vina. It's my pleasure. Uh, and, and we're very glad to have you here on Real Life Real Estate because, uh, man, we could just do like every show about foreclosures anymore and still <laughs> not necessarily dig into all the different ways 
in which it's possible to buy foreclosure properties. Um, but we get a lot of questions here and a lot of interest about this this shadow inventory. The, the latest number that I've read is that there might be as many as 11 million bank-owned properties that are not actively on the market. So talk a little bit about that shadow inventory, how how, how properties get into that position. Why, why do they stay there? I mean, why do, why do banks not want to sell them? Well, the... Uh, first of all, the the 11 million people that's uh, that includes people that are just behind on their payments, but they haven't gone into foreclosure yet. But um, the banks, they uh, you know, when they first started repossessing a lot of houses back in 2007 and 2008, they over flooded the market, and that helped drive prices down. So then we had the robo-signing issue, so they held off foreclosing on a lot of people uh, during that time because they didn't have their paperwork straight. And they were being, you know, uh, you know, investigated as far as their paperwork. And uh, so they slowed down on foreclosing on people. So there's still a lot of people that are in default. But the banks have still been foreclosing at a, you know, a higher than normal rate, and they just don't want to put them all on the market at once because it could flood the market again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that some of these homes around the nation, I've been through a lot of states and seen these properties, and a lot of them are distressed. They have high grass and the neighbors are complaining the banks aren't taking care of them and so what i do vena is i contact them and see if they'd be interested in selling them and some do and some don't but it's you know it's worth playing the numbers to find a possible good deal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we've seen in the last few months it's really really been going on since maybe late spring early summer is it seems as if there's been less and less bank inventory released to the market in the sense that there's a sign in front of it it's in the multiple listing service uh, all that sort of thing and the uh, the the theory that is going around is that that maybe has to do with the election and with uh, lenders not wanting to uh, uh, release a lot of inventory and potentially drive down prices and that it might have also have something to do with their all of their bailout programs are expiring at the end of the year so <clears throat> we're uh, we're in a situation right now where the the properties that are on the market in a lot of areas are being bid up just because there's just not that many of them so if we could access the hidden market, as you call them, properties, that would really sort of put us at a competitive advantage, right? Absolutely. Uh, because, you see, you you are right. I think the election does have something to do with it. They, they surely want the economy to appear to be improving. And the listed properties are getting multiple offers all over the nation. 
And there are some pockets where they're not, but most major cities in any state, there's there's multiple because there's multiple offers because there's more and more investors that are coming into the business after that crisis we had because they feel we've hit bottom. You know, for a while there, they didn't know if homes were going to keep declining. So there's the perception that we've hit bottom and there's nowhere to go but up. So it's just drawing more and more investors into the market. Mm-hmm. I believe the reason, another reason is because you can rent houses at a really good positive cash flow today. And uh, because of these lower prices, you get better positive cash flow, which is bringing more and more investors into the market, creating more competition. So the way that I pursue these hidden market properties is right in my own zip code and right in your listeners' own zip codes. If they could go out and find these, they have no for sale signs, no ads in the paper, nobody even knows who owns them. And if you take the right steps and find out who to contact, you can make offers on these, and they're not publicly listed, so not many people know about them. So it gives you an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony, we need to take a quick break, and I also need to invite listeners who I know have a bazillion questions about how to do what you just said to do and from a 20,000-foot view. Uh, so I want to invite listeners to give us a call about shadow inventory, hidden market, making deals with banks at 513-772-9658 here in the greater Cincinnati area. If you're listening to us on the web at wmkvfm.org, you can still call us toll-free at 877-772-9658, or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Tony Youngs, who uh, has a a lengthy uh, real estate career behind him, almost 25, actually 26 years, I guess, uh, in the real estate business, starting, like most of us do, by having gone to a seminar. But Tony's uh, area of expertise that he has developed over the years has to do with working with banks in various stages of the foreclosure process to buy properties profitably. And we're really focusing today on the, quote, hidden market, the, um, these, these properties that banks own and yet are not in multiple listing service where you can go look them up or your agent can go look them up for you and uh, easily make a bid on them. Uh, now, Tony, for, for folks who might be listening for the first time or relatively new to the business, I think a, I think a big question is just flat out going to be, so how do I find them? Well, you know, if you <clears throat> track them from the auctions, remember that every one of these homes had to go through the foreclosure process. So if you see a house go up for auction at the courthouse steps foreclosure sale, then that would that would be the first indication of whether it was bank owned because the auctioneer would say going once, going twice, sold back to the lender. 
so you could begin planting seeds right away, contacting that bank to see if they'd be interested in selling it. And, you know, one of the things that I do is uh, I just say, well, yesterday you tried to auction it off, and there was 52 investors there with cash, but the opening bid was too high. So today I'm, I'm uh, prepared to give you this much if you're interested in selling it, you know, because, you know, the property needs some work. And uh, so I'm prepared to make an offer at this much, and that's one way. Mm-hmm. Now, if what I do is there's, you know, there's some states that do have a redemption period, but you can still start planting the seeds. So by collecting data at these auctions, you can you can find those. Now, another way is, well, well, actually, there's more to the hidden market than just those recently repossessed properties. You see, when you go out and look at those properties, you will find other distressed properties in those neighborhoods. There may be vacant homes, there may be homes that are occupied, but they're very distressed and under-maintained, and that's another avenue of talking to the owners of those properties to see if they'd be interested in selling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll find that those are... Those are the hit the shadow inventory of people that hadn't been making payments. They're just waiting for the bank to come along and say, hey, you know, we're going to foreclose on you. So they may be interested in selling. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found a lot of people who have inherited properties from their, their uh, parents that have passed away, but because of the economy not doing so well, the people don't have enough money to sink into a house to fix it up, nor do the general public even believe they can sell a house quickly. So these homes may be sitting distressed because the the person who inherited it might not uh, have the money to fix it up, and they don't think they could sell it in the condition it's in. So by contacting them, it turns out to be a win-win deal for everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... It, you know, those are the two main things that I do, and I, I find the best deals, no matter what area I'm in, just by doing those two methods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for folks who might not be pursuing these vacant, ugly properties that they see as they're out looking at other properties, uh, in a lot of the country, it's not unusual to contact those people and have them say, well, the thing is, I got behind on my mortgage and about a year and a half ago, the bank foreclosed on me, but then they withdrew the sheriff sale right before it happened. So apparently I'm still the owner, but I do have a mortgage, but I don't know what's going on with it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it, it amazes me how how often I hear that story from from folks in the Midwest that you know it's I haven't made my payments in five years and I don't want the house, but at the same time I uh, I the bank doesn't seem to want to foreclose on me and I'm kind of in in never never land, and uh, that that appears to be when the banks have done the uh, evaluation on the property 
and have decided that the back taxes plus the cost of foreclosure plus the cost of holding is more than the value of the property. And I think there's some excellent opportunities there uh, that that people just aren't aware of because they're not doing the contacts that you're talking about. That's exactly right. And, uh, and, you know, I think any active investor runs across people like that quite often. And for the homeowner, the, you know, they're willing to talk to you and, and because of the fact that, like you said, they, they're in Never Never Land. They don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep riding that wave as long as they can, living there without making payments. But then they also live in fear that the sheriff is going to come knock on their door one day and say, hey, you got to move. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they don't understand there's a process. But, uh, but you know, these people need that kind of stuff. I mean, need that kind of help uh, to know what's going on. So... That's why whenever I see a distressed property, I contact the owner to see if they're interested in selling. And that's how you find people just like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or if they've already moved out of the property. I've talked to people that the first time they knew that the bank had actually not taken the property to sale was because they got a ticket for long grass from the city. And they called, oh, the, yes. they called the city and said, I don't own that property anymore. And the city said, yeah, you do. And they said, no, no, oh, I yeah. don't. So, I mean, sometimes they don't even know that they uh that they that they still own a property and boy are they ready to get rid of it when the city's on their back. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate. Our numbers here in the studio are five one three seven seven two nine six five eight or eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Let's go ahead and go to the phones and talk to Tom from Tucson. Tom, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi. Hi Tom. Did you have a question for Tony? Uh, I didn't have a question because I ended up uh, coming in late. I was having trouble making a connection with you. But uh, I was just wondering if you're doing much or of anything on uh, uh, HUD houses. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question, Tony, because there are a lot of um, different kinds of bank sellers. I mean, right, there's there's regular banks, and then there's Fannie Mae, who ends up acquiring properties, and then there's FHA, that acquires properties that become HUD foreclosures. What what sorts of um, possibilities do you see with HUD foreclosures? Well, uh, there is. Uh, so there is, you know, a lot of houses being repossessed by the government or, you know, at least taking them over from the banks. And uh, the, the HUD foreclosures seem to be better deals in some areas, at least some of my students, they say they've gotten some really good deals on HUD. And Fannie and Freddie, they have so many properties, it's unbelievable. If the public really knew how many they had, it's 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 just a phenomenal amount. But the best, you know, of course, they have they they play by the books. They they. Uh, it's almost like when you make an offer, they feed it into a computer, and the computer accepts or rejects your <laughs> offer. So it has to be within a certain price. And we have found that usually it's about 8% below the asking price. Your offer could get accepted. Mm-hmm. But if you offer much more of a discount, uh, it, it, the house really needs to have a lot of work or some mold issues before they'll take much lower than that. The best I've found with HUD, Fannie, and Freddie is the longer it sits on the market, the better de- the deal, because 
they will drop the price almost on a 30-day basis. Uh, uh, if it doesn't sell within 30 days, they'll, they'll drop the price. Mm-hmm. So the best way to buy those is with a price drop. And, of course, getting in with a good real estate agent that could uh, be your your go-between. It's always good to work with a realtor on those type of properties. And uh, so that's that's uh, about the best experience I can tell you. That uh, I do know that in 2007, 2008, and 2009, you could the, they would actually you know you could get some discounts of up to 50 percent off the market. But that's while homes were declining. But now. They strictly put them on the market with with real estate agents, and and working with a good buyer's agent could help you to get a decent deal if the house needs work. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing, Vina, is anything, bank-owned, government-owned, homeowner-owned, if the property needs a little repairs, then that helps to justify your low offers. And then you have to be good at fixing them up or getting them fixed up at lower than the going prices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and Tom, I'll, I'll I'll add I'll add my perspective to Tony's here because uh, HUD HUD is a mystery in a lot of ways. They they have never they never publish anything about. This this eight percent, which is a number that I hear a lot. You know, they'll, they'll accept something with eight or ten percent of. Mm-hmm asking price and they have evolved over the last few years in how they're handling things um, from what I'm seeing here in the area and again Tony is right that it's going to depend a little bit on where you are HUD is pricing its foreclosures at a reasonable number you're, you're not seeing HUD foreclosures go onto the market at full retail retail when they need $30,000 worth of work so they're already within some striking distance usually. I'm, I'm not finding myself making 50 cents on the dollar offers on HUD foreclosures the way I sometimes am on some on some other ones. Uh, they do make it easy to make bids. Uh, it's, it's just an online process that your your agent goes through. He has to fill out about 12 lines and check a box and your offer's in. They respond in 24 business hours. So, you know, that's good. And uh, I think there are some deals out there amongst HUD properties, but as with anything else, you're going to have to make quite a few offers before one of those gets accepted. So thank you very much for your call, Tom. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today to Tony Youngs about the hidden market in foreclosures. Our number here in the greater Cincinnati area is 513-772-9658. Outside the greater Cincinnati area, it is 877-772-9658. And you can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Tony Youngs, who is the developer of the Hidden Market System. He is going to be one of the 15 featured speakers at the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association Conference, uh, which is coming up, of course, on November the 8th through the 11th here in Cincinnati. Those of you who are lucky enough to get tickets through the WMKV Fund Drive a few weeks ago. Congratulations. You get to see Tony 
and a whole bunch of other really smart people uh, come and present over the course of four days. Um, it happens that we did have someone who pledged for one of those tickets and then found out that they could not come. So if you go to wmkvfm.org and you see the uh, thing on the front page that says pledge for a $158 ticket, uh, you can grab that one. But if it's not there, it's because someone already did. That's wmkvfm.org. It's a $158 pledge to the station for your ticket to the 2012 OREA National New Strategies Summit. Um, Tony, uh, just got a question in via askvina at gmail.com. This is from Flyin' Brian in Columbus. Seriously, that's what it says. Flyin' Brian, Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) He says, could the gentleman talk about the waiting period before investors are allowed to make offers on bank-owned properties? Well, like I like I said before, to me there is no waiting period. You just start right after the auction. I I start planting seeds. I actually uh, contact the lenders directly to let them know I'm interested in buying that house, and uh, so I do that on you know multiple properties. Like if you know a hundred houses go back to the bank. Uh, in your county, then I start planting seeds on every one of them directly to the lender. Now, that brings me to another point. Sometimes the banks are taking title in a trust, and they and the deed it says the property is owned by a trustee. Like, for instance, I mean, am I allowed to mention bank names? Yeah, sure. You're not you're okay. not endorsing the banks. You're just giving information. <laughs> like for instance, like uh, a lot of properties that uh, the title is held by the Bank of New York Mellon. Well, they're actually a trustee for another bank or a trust, and so that's what you got to do is penetrate those trusts. And uh, and I've been able to successfully figure that out. And uh, so. I I figured it out by making offers to Bank of New York Mellon, and they say, "Hey, we don't have that property in our database." <laughs> so because they, they were say, just well, the servicer. Yeah, they well they were the trustee for a special trust like the the CWABS Trust, which is C W A B S uh, Trust of two thousand six, and uh, so that's the pooling thing where. This particular loan that secured the property, uh, that was in a trust back in 2006, so they they just leave it like that. So I've seen countless times, I've seen a lot of properties owned by Deutsche Bank that are where they're just the trustee. So when you contact Deutsche Bank directly right after the auction, they say, hey, we're just the trustee. So... Through trial and error, you can figure out how to, you know, find out who the real person is to make an offer on. And I'm going to be really talking about that. I'm going to go into great detail about that in, uh, in, in at the convention because then I can show you the documents that helps me to 
to show you who the real person to make the offer is. But to answer the question to flying buying, uh, there is no real waiting period. No. So if anybody tells you that, just you know, just ignore them and just start pursuing them yourself. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's opportunity, and um, and no. that's how I figured it all out. I think I think uh, Brian is referencing once a property goes into MLS, there is. Oh. Uh, all of the five major banks uh, who took the bailout money and also Fannie Mae and also Freddie Mac and also HUD all participate in what's called the first look program yes, where the first, I know what he's talking first about. 14 or 15 days or in the case of some HUD properties as much as 30 days only it's only open for bid by nonprofit organizations or homeowners and uh owner occupants exactly exactly and uh Brian what I would say to you about that is this don't violate first look if it if it if it's still in first look feel free to go look at it feel free to write your offer but don't submit it until the end of that first look period because if you imply particularly to one of these uh federal type entities like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or HUD that you intend to live in that property, and the fact is you intend to use it as an investment property, uh, you need to, you, 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 you need to not do that. That's, that's, that's trouble. That's, uh, that's, that's illegal. So, uh, but, but what Tony's saying is, hey, you know, if it doesn't hit MLS, it's not in first look. So <laughs> go ahead and start, go ahead and start talking to folks. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate, talking today to Tony Youngs about foreclosures and particularly the hidden market for foreclosures. Uh, We are taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. And folks, do not wait for the last minute to send questions. You You guys sent questions last week that I did not receive until 10 minutes after the show was over. So <laughs> ask me at gmail.com and do it right now. Uh, so, so Tony, in your experience, and, and I, I read that you're, you, you were making like a hundred offers a week on, on properties. So, Oh, a month. Okay. So, yeah. so massive experience uh, on these, on these properties that, that you have seen go through the sheriff sale, because, uh, by the way, folks, all of that is online. You can pretty much log on to your sheriff's website or your, your county website and see what the results of the sheriff sale were. So you see them go through the foreclosure. You see that the bank bought them back. Now you want to pick up the phone and call that bank and say, hey, you want to sell that? Are you personally more successful dealing with a giant you know, Wells Fargo, Citibank, Bank of America type bank or with the little local bank that you can literally talk to the president just by picking up the phone and calling them? Definitely the smaller banks are much easier to deal with. Uh, I had this one small bank tell me, they say, hey, we're we're not Bank of America. You know, we don't get... Uh, we don't get help. You know, I don't want to say bailout, but they say, we don't get bailouts. We we have to unload these, you know, <laughs> and that's what he said. So he, the first time I ever sent an offer to that small bank, they said, hey, do you, we've got about 10 more in that area. Would you like to, to look at those, too? And we've really helped, you know, these small banks out. Now, I still pursue the bigger banks uh, just because I like to 
make offers on everything. And uh, But I definitely have much more success with smaller banks or with the asset managers who are uh, the that the big banks are trustees for, you know. So uh, that's, that's just the way it is. You know, the big banks, sometimes they don't know what, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And, uh, for instance, I had a homeowner that sold me their house on a short sale, and I, I had submitted it to Wells Fargo, and it was for 114000 And they accepted and set the closing date. And about three days before the closing, they said, uh, we're, we don't know how it happened, but we, that house went up for auction over a month ago. And they sold it for seventy two thousand and I had an offer for one fourteen and I said, "Why did you let the house go for seventy two when you had a pending short sale for one fourteen They said, "We don't know, we don't know how it happened, but I ended up getting the deal for a hundred thousand because I went and found the person that bought it at the auction and told them I'd buy it for a hundred thousand because I actually had a buyer myself at 125, so I needed that property, uh, and that's why I was willing to pay 114. So, mm-hmm. and you know, I didn't have to do anything to it. But uh, it's just amazing how the big banks say sometimes the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So you have to understand. See, sometimes people will ask me, Vina. They'll say, "I made an offer to Wells Fargo." And, uh, you know, without before it was listed, and I never got a response. Well, you know, they've got some massive amounts of paperwork going through their REO departments and their loss mitigation departments. So, so you know, I finally understood, especially from talking to a few of them. Uh, they explain how it works. And uh, so you can definitely be good. If you make enough offers, you can develop relationships with some of these people when they know that you're serious. And uh, that's what I'm going to be teaching about, um, you know, to, to show how you can be, you know, a serious offer maker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about how the process of making these offers might be different than what you're used to if your only method of dealing with REOs has been via the usual MLS route. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, 877-772-9658. If you'd like to call with any last-minute questions or just send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Tony Youngs, who will be joining us and all of you who are attending the 2012 OREA National New Strategy Summit coming up in November. Again, if you want to grab the last seat where you can uh, get it through WMKV with a pledge to WMKV and support public radio. Wow. Four days of real estate education, and you get to feel great about yourself. I mean, life just doesn't get any better than that. You go to wmkvfm.org. If it's still up on the front page, there's still that seat left that uh, somebody had to give up because they couldn't make it after all. Uh, So, Tony, um, there is a process that has to happen when 
a bank-owned property is in MLS, and it's a very strict process <laughs> involving a minimum earnest money deposit and proof of funds and massive addendums and all sorts of of hoops that a lot of investors just choose not to jump through because they're just it's you know frankly they they make it kind of a pain to make offers on those properties when they are listed is is have you found that the process is similar when you're just contacting the local bank and saying hey saw you bought a foreclosure yesterday want to sell it today no it's much easier you you can actually make the offer since it's not listed you can actually make the offer on a standard purchase and sale agreement and you can and you you can just make the offer with with no earnest money or proof of funds and you know a lot of the uh, the offers that I've had accepted have been through small banks and credit unions and uh, small lending institutions they never seem to ask for those documents now uh, once in a while they you know when you you know if you make your offer subject to an inspection then I have been asked afterwards after I've done my inspection and said yes I want to proceed and go through with it then they've asked for earnest money uh, and uh, but the, you would you just wouldn't believe how many times I have gotten offers accepted without them ever asking for proof of funds or earnest money mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's the beauty of you know trying to uh, deal with the ghost inventory, the shadow inventory, the hidden market, is because you're dealing with houses with no for sale signs, no ads in the paper, and uh, not on the Internet or MLS, and that's how you find those type of deals. So not only do we do it because it it beats the competition, but a lot of investors that uh, are new, they just don't have the proof of funds or they don't have the earnest money. But there is a way they can get in the business and actually make some money by doing this. And uh, so they still have fear, even if you say, look, you don't need need earnest money or proof of funds to make these offers, then they're still afraid to make the offer just because they're afraid it'll get accepted. And they're afraid, well, what if I make this offer and it gets accepted? I, I know I don't have the money. So, you know, there's a little ethical thing there. I've found that most of the uh, people that are wanting to get into real estate, they they have three basic fears. They're afraid that they're going to get stuck with the property and won't be able to sell it. So they, they're afraid to make offers unless they have a buyer that stands there and says, look, I promise I will buy this house from you if you do it. And then the Fear number two is they're afraid that if they buy a house, it may have some kind of major lien on it or something like that or or some major foundation problem. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, and you know, and fear number three is they're just afraid if they make the offer, they know they don't have the money. So there's a little bit of, uh, you know, some encouragement and to, you know, to show why those three fears can be eliminated with the proper training. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 
that's the things they'll learn at the OREA convention is little things like that that help them overcome their fears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I just received a an email from Steve who is in Allen, Indiana that has a link to it uh, to an article in better double check this AOL real estate that quotes a figure here that says that as of April 2012 so what six months ago Fannie Mae had Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had 390,000 repossessed homes so they are, they are, you know, those are the two big players in the REO market, but that only 39,000 of them were actually listed for sale. That's, that's the way it's been going. And, 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 you know, they are, they are, the, they are the biggest single player. But when you think about how many other big, medium size and small banks there are out there that might be in similar situations, uh, we're talking, we're talking about a lot of properties, Tony. I know it, and they're out there. You see them, you know, and uh, and you know, even Fannie and Freddie. I understand they've been selling a lot of them in bulk, and uh, you know, for the big investors that come to your convention, they can actually go on Fannie's website and or Freddie's and and apply. There's a there's a, a process to apply if you want to buy six or more homes at once, and. Uh, but that, that's a lot of homes. You know, this time last year, they were begging us investors to help them to figure out how they could unload 90,000 homes before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I wanted to mention to your listeners is that right now is a great time because the banks like to unload as much inventory as they can before the end of the year. Now, I've heard so many different stories about that and. I've never been able to verify anything, but I do know that they will give good deals toward the end of the year because they have to get it off their books. But the thing I don't quite understand is exactly why they have to get it off their books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, I, 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 just, I may I be actually I may actually be able to shed some light for you on that, Tony, because I had a conversation at the end of last year with one of the small banks in the area. And I've always been curious about that, too, because you you hear it everywhere. Oh, yeah, they got to unload the properties before the end of the year. What what he told me was that the the banks can take a certain level of write downs. In other words, we've got our balance sheet here. And right now we've got this property on our balance sheet as being worth 60,000, because although we had to repossess it, that was the amount of the mortgage. And until we sell it for thirty, we can still say it's worth sixty on our on our balance sheet. And toward the end of the year, we start making calculations about how much money we can quote lose, and and still not be you know dinged by the FDIC or you know be taken over for you know heaven's sake or uh, whatever. And so we we sell off as many properties as cheaply as meets that the amount of that write down. So if we've got if we've got uh, half a million dollars, if it's on December 1st, there's a half a million more dollars we can lose, we're going to lose it before the end of the year cuz then the then the clock starts over again. So that was the the best and most logical explanation that I have ever heard about that particular thing. Um, we just got a, an email in from 
from Hal, who is in Georgia somewhere, uh, your neck of the woods. And I need like a one minute answer to this question, Tony, because we're running out of time. He says, what does your conversation with one of these small banks sound like when you are first calling them? What do you do to convince them that you are a serious buyer? Well, the first thing I do, Hal, is actually I email them. I have access to all the email addresses for the uh, REO asset managers. And uh, so I email them and they respond with uh, either a counter offer or or they sometimes will send an email saying, please read the addendum. So you just you just it. you just go straight in and email them an offer. There's not you're saying there's not a yeah, conversation. Email, that's what I do. I email huh. and fax them. I guess the, I guess I guess there's nothing that makes you look quite as serious as here's an offer. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. I just email an attached offer to them, and I have a little note that says, "Hey, you know, here's a property. Here's the property address. Uh, I was I was interested in buying it." Uh, the, the court records show you're the owner, so I just wanted to see if you'd be interested in selling it. Uh, I've looked at the house. I haven't seen the inside, but here's how much I could give you for the house and close quickly. And sometimes I get counter offers, and sometimes I'll just get a, all, you know, a, a letter back from them or an addendum that says, okay, we're going to give you 12 days to do an inspection. And... Uh, and then it says, if you want to go through it, we're not going to fix anything, so don't ask us to fix anything. And it says in the addendum that uh, they're not going to disclose anything because they've never lived in it. They're in cor- they're of corporate nature. And then they'll say, if you decide you'd like to buy this house, then we're going to choose the closing venue. And, mm-hmm. and so that's the typical conversation of, you know, the only time that I really talk to them is if they respond to my email by calling me, which sometimes that happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Um, appreciate the information that you were able to give us in this short period of time, Tony. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming convention in November. And again, want to remind listeners that if you have not gotten your seat Go to WMKVFM.org and grab the last seat available through WMKV. Uh, Otherwise, go to OREAConvention.com for more information. We'll see you tomorrow night at the Cincinnati RIA meeting. More information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. And we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.